Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. This episode features the first chapter of Assault with a Deadly Glue Gun by Lois Winston. It's read by local actor Julie Lucido. Assault with a Deadly Glue Gun was published in 2013 and is available for purchase. If you'd like to help support this podcast, listen for details at the end of the episode on how to become a patron and get some fun perks. The Anastasia Pollock Crafting Mysteries Overview Crafts and murder don't normally go hand in hand. However, in the critically acclaimed Anastasia Pollock Crafting Mystery series, by best-selling and award-winning author Lois Winston, Normal Deserted Magazine Crafts editor Anastasia Pollock's world the day her husband permanently cashed in his chips in Las Vegas. That's when her comfortable middle-class life crapped out. There are now nine books and three novellas in the Anastasia Pollock mystery series, with the tenth book due out later in 2021. An Assault with a Deadly Glue Gun, the first book in the series, when Anastasia returns to work after her husband's death, she discovers a co-worker's body in her office chair, with Anastasia's glue gun being the murder weapon. She finds herself suddenly thrust into the role of reluctant amateur sleuth. Will she find the killer before she becomes his next victim? Assault with a Deadly Glue Gun, an Anastasia Pollock Crafting Mystery, Book One, by Lois Winston. I hate whiners. Always have. So I was doing my damnedest not to become one, in spite of the lollapalooza of a quadruple whammy that had broadsided me last week. Not an easy task, given that one of those lollapalooza whammies had barged into my bedroom and was presently hammering her cane against my bathroom door. Damn it, Anastasia, hot water doesn't grow on trees, you know. Some people can't start the day without a cigarette. Lucille Pollock, monster-in-law from the Stygian Swamp, can't start hers without a sludge load of complaints. As much as I detest cigarettes, I'd prefer a nicotine-puffing mother-in-law, as long as she came with an occasional kind word and a semi-pleasant disposition. Unfortunately, marriage is a package deal. Husbands come with family. And mine came with a doozy to end all doozies. My mother-in-law is a card-carrying circa 1930s communist. When she met me, it was hate at first sight. I bear the name of a dead Russian princess thanks to my mother's unsubstantiated Romanov link. A great-grandmother with a maiden name of Romanov. With Mama, the connection is more like 60, not 6, degrees of separation. And the links are coated with a thick layer of rust. But that's never stopped Mama from bragging about our royal ancestry, and it set the tone for my relationship, or lack of it, with my mother-in-law from day one. I suppose... I didn't help this situation by naming one of my sons Nicholas and the other Alexander, even if they were named after my grandfathers, Alexander Periwinkle and Nicholas Sudbury. My kingdom for a bedroom door lock, I muttered, 
Not that I had much of a kingdom left, so it would have to be a really cheap lock. About time, said Lucille as I exited the bathroom amidst a cloud of warm steam. Some people have no consideration of others. Raising one of her sequoia-like arms, she waved her cane in my face. Those boys of yours have been camped out in the other bathroom for a half an hour doing what I can't imagine. Three minutes, she continued ranting. That's all it takes me to shower and all it should take any of you. I'm the only person in this house who gives one iota of concern for the earth's depleting resources. She landed an elbow to my ribs to push me aside. Manifesto, her runt of the litter French bulldog, or Mephisto the devil dog, as the rest of the family had dubbed the Satan incarnate canine, followed close on her heels. As he squeezed past me, he raised his wrinkled head and growled. As soon as they'd both muscled their way into the bathroom, my mother-in-law slammed the door in my face and locked it. God only knows why she needs her dog in the bathroom with her. And if he does know, I hope he continues to spare the rest of us the knowledge. My grandma Periwinkle used to say that Honeyed words conquered waspish dispositions. However, I doubted all the beehives in North America could produce enough honey to mollify the likes of Lucille. After 18 years as her daughter-in-law, I still hadn't succeeded in extracting a single pleasantry from her. Of all the shocks I sustained over the past week, knowing I was now stuck with Lucille, topped the list. Two months ago, she shattered her hip in a hit-and-run accident when an SUV mowed her down while she jaywalked across Queens Boulevard. Her apartment building burned to the ground while she was still in the hospital. Comrade Lucille put her political beliefs above everyone and everything, including common sense, since she didn't trust banks, her life savings, along with all her possessions, had gone up in flames. And of course, she didn't have insurance. Homeless and penniless, Lucille came to live with us. It won't be for long. My husband Carl, Lucille had named him after Karl Marx, had assured me. Only until she gets back on her feet. Literally or figuratively, I asked. Literally. Carl liked his mother best when two rivers and an hour's drive separated them. I promise we'll find somewhere for her to live, even if we have to pay for it ourselves. Trusting person that I am was, I believed him. We had a moderately sized nest egg set aside, and I would have been more than happy to tap into it to settle Lucille into a retirement community. Lucille had recovered from her injuries, although the chances of her now leaving any time soon were as non-existent as the eggs in that same nest. Unbeknownst to me formerly known as Trusting Wife, Carl, 
who handled the family finances, had not only cracked open, fried, and devoured our nest egg, he maxed out our home equity line of credit, borrowed against his life insurance policy, cashed in his 401k, and drained the kids' college accounts. I discovered this financial quagmire with... In 24 hours of learning that my husband, who was supposed to be at a sales meeting in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, had dropped dead on a roulette table at the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas. The love of my life was a closet gambling addict. He left me and his sons totally broke up the yin-yang in debt and settled with his mother. If he weren't already dead, I'd kill him. Without a doubt, a jury of my peers would rule it justifiable homicide. With Ralph, our African gray parrot, keeping a voyeuristic eye on me from his perch atop the armoire, I dried myself off and began to dress for work. They say the wife is always the last to know. For the past week, I'd racked my brain for signs I might have missed, niggling doubts I may have brushed aside. Even in retrospect, I had no clue of impending cataclysm. Carl was that good. Or maybe I had played my role of trusting wife too well. Either way, the result was the same. Still, I thought we'd had a pretty good marriage compared to most other couples we knew, a marriage built on trust and communication. In reality, what we had was more like blind trust on my part and a whopping lack of communication on his. Most of all, though, I thought my husband loved me. Apparently, he loved Roxy Roulette more. Could I have been more clueless if I'd tried? The theme from Rocky sang out from inside the amour. Dead is only dead for the deceased. The widow, I am learning, becomes a multitasking juggler of a thousand and one details. Our phone hadn't stopped ringing since the call from the hotel in Las Vegas. But this wasn't the home phone. I opened the amour and reached for the box of Carl's personal items the funeral director had given me. <laughs> no one had bothered to turn off his phone. The display read, Private Call. Hello? Put Carl on. Excuse me? Don't play games with me, sweet cheeks. Hand the phone to that slippery weasel. Now. I'm afraid that's not possible. Make it possible. You tell him Ricardo's run out of patience, and he's run out of time. As an auto part salesman for a national wholesaler, Carl dealt with his share of low-life Neanderthals, but Ricardo sounded lower than most of the run-of-the-mill Neanderthals in the auto industry. I wasn't in the mood for any macho-posturing soprano wannabe. This concerns an order you placed. You'll have to get in touch with the main office in Secaucus. Carl passed away last week. Silence greeted my statement. 
first I thought Ricardo had hung up. When he finally spoke, I wished he had. No kidding. Your sense of humor might be that warped, but I can assure you mine isn't. This is Mrs. He sounded suspicious. Yes? Look, I'm sorry about your loss, he said. Although his tone suggested otherwise. But I got my own problems. That schmuck was into me for 50 G's. We had a deal, and dead or not, he's gotta pay up. Capiche? Hardly, but now I sense that Ricardo was no body shop owner. Who are you? Let's just say I'm a former business associate of the deceased. One, you just inherited sweet cheeks along with his debt. I glanced at the bathroom door. Thankfully, Lucille's three-minute shower was running over time. I lowered my voice. I don't know anything about a debt, and I certainly don't have $50,000. Although both statements were true after what I had recently learned about my husband's secret life, he probably did owe Ricardo $50,000. The same $50,000 the casino manager in Las Vegas said Carl gambled away shortly before cashing in his chips, literally, at the roulette table. But... What really freaked me out as I stood half-naked in nothing more than my black panties and matching bra was the thought that there could be other Ricardos waiting to pounce. Lots of other Ricardos. Behind my husband's upstanding, church-going, family-oriented facade, he had apparently hidden a crapload of secrets. What next? Ricardo wasn't buying my ignorance. I happen to know otherwise, sweet cheeks, so don't try to con me. I'll be over in an hour to collect. There are five stages of grief. I had gone through the first stage, denial, so fast I hardly remembered being there. For most of the past week, I'd silently seethed over Carl's duplicity. With each new deceit I'd uncovered, my anger grew exponentially. I knew stage two, anger, would be sticking around for a long time to come, sucking dry all the love I once had for my husband. Ricardo became that proverbial last straw on my unburdened camel's back. You'll do no such thing! I screamed into the phone. I don't know who you are or what kind of sick game you're playing, but if you bother me again, I'm calling the police! Capiche? Ricardo's voice lowered into a menacing timber. I... Wouldn't do that if I were you.
sweet cheeks. The phone went dead, along with every nerve in my body. And I thought I had problems before. If you have tears, prepare to shed them now, squawked Ralph. Julius Caesar, act three, scene two. <laughs> no, Polly wants a cracker for this bird. Ralph spelled Shakespeare, and only Shakespeare, thanks to several decades of listening to great Aunt Penelope Periwinkle's classroom lectures. When Aunt Penelope died two years ago, I inherited the parrot with the uncanny knack for squawking circumstance-appropriate quotes. Could have been worse. At least Aunt Penelope wasn't a closet rap queen with a bird who squawked out pimpin' the hose in the hood. I'm also grateful Ralph is housebroken, considering his ability to pick the lock on his cage. I've already cried enough to replenish New Jersey's drought-lowered reservoirs, Ralph. So unless you know of some way to transform tears into twenties, I've got to move on and figure a way out of this mess. He ignored me. Ralph speaks only when he wants to, and right now his attention had turned to grooming himself. Like I said, I hate whiners, but jeez! How much simpler life would be if my only concern was molting feathers. If you'd like to help us to be able to continue to bring you more mystery fun, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. We would like to give a shout out to our new patron, Molly Weston. We also have some cool merchandise available on Redbubble. Check the show notes for the link. You can also find links there for Kings River Life. For more podcast fun, check out A Galaxy Not So Far Away, which is the official podcast of Mysterious Galaxy. Join hosts Gary Roby and Rebecca Ann as they bring you the latest in new releases and store events every Tuesday. And come back for author interviews and genre deep dives featuring a rotating cast of booksellers. Find it now at galaxynotsofaraway.libsyn.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This reading of Assault with a Deadly Glue Gun was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. You can learn more about this book and the author on her website, loiswinston.com. Now we'll be back next time with another mystery. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter to get special interviews with the authors of the podcast stories. And follow us on Twitter to keep up with everything KRL at Kings River Life. If you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it, as this helps make us easier for others to find. Until next time, this is your announcer, Jim Tuck, wishing you a life full of mystery. Mystery.